0: I am Jimbo Paris, and you are listening to the Jimbo Paris Show. So, today we are having John Moore. He is a shaman, actually, shaman teacher, and he's an expert in this field. Let's see what he has to say. How's it going, man?
1: Good, good. How are you? Well, well. Excellent. Glad to hear it. Nice to be here.
0: So, you're a very interesting person. You are actually the first shaman that I've ever had on the show. So it's quite the privilege.
1: <laughs> well, that that's good. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> Thank you for having me on.
0: So can you sort of begin by telling me a bit about who you are, what you're about, and what your message is?
1: Absolutely. So I spent about 25 years working in the Uh, working in high-tech industry for large companies, and uh, like many people who are now in my field, had a bit of a a health crisis uh, in my early 40s, and turned to spirituality to sort of help myself through that, and started out really only to, to help myself and wasn't really interested in working with anyone else. And along the way, I found myself uh, helping tons of people. and now I teach uh, I teach shamanism, I practice shamanism, I have clients who, who I help and heal. And my message really is this: that human beings, we are all at our very core, uh, divine. We are all connected to each other. we're all connected to divinity. We all have the power to heal ourselves. Um, sometimes we need a little bit of help, but we are no different, and we're connected to everything. Everything is connected. We're connected to nature. We're connected to animals and plants and birds and the earth and and all of these things. Underneath it all, underneath this physical stuff that we see, we're all connected. And in shamanism, we refer we refer to you know things that people might think as non-human as brothers and sisters so or relatives. We have, you know, the the earth is our mother and the sun is a father and um, the sky is a father and the moon is our sister and that sort of thing. So it's really about our connection to everything and the fact that at our core, we are all divine, whole, and perfect. And it's just a matter of helping people realize and recognize that and grasp onto that.
0: That's very interesting because... You bring about now sort of a philosophy. So, would you consider shamanism a sort of religion?
1: I don't. And shamanism is really a set of tools. I try to. I I sort of. I refer to it frequently as spiritual technology. Right. It's a set of tools that uh, that people can use. There is a philosophy. There is a you know underneath it. It's you know, would be considered animism. We consider all things kind of alive and having spirit. But I know lots of people who practice shamanism who are Christian, for example, or Buddhist or Jewish or pagan or other things. And so it really lives well besides, you know, alongside and enhances people's if if people have religious beliefs and some people aren't religious at all and practice shamanism, there's no, there's no hierarchy. There are no holy books. There are no, there, there's no, uh, you know, temple or anything like that. It's not organized in any way. It's, uh, you know, it's really a set of spiritual tools in some cultures. There is the role of shaman who, you know, that is a, like takes, takes the part of a religious officiant right in, in many places. So, you know, in Asia, for example, you know, they're, you know, take the role of priest as well, but that's not necessarily true for every culture. So I don't, I I personally don't consider it a religion. I consider it more, but it does promote a worldview because when you do this work, you get a real uh, deep down understanding of, of that connection to everything. Um, And people tend to become very ecologically uh, minded when they practice shamanism, because then you start to realize like, oh, the planet's a living thing that we actually rely on. And and, um, you know, killing it off isn't isn't a really great idea.
0: So you're very well versed in a lot of this. And that's quite interesting. So it's a toolkit. So what does the okay? so let's go with this. What is the toolkit? of shamanism necessarily focus on? Because when shamanism hits me, the first thing that comes is healing and cleansing.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, there are a lot of things that shamans do, and healing is a huge part of that, right? Shamanism is the oldest human spiritual practice that we know about. We have evidence of shamanic practice in cave paintings going back thousands of years, right? And so... That was before medicine. And so if you were living somewhere in a part of a tribal culture, um, and even today in many areas of the world, you didn't necessarily have, you didn't have access to medicine and certainly not modern medicine. And so shamanic healing was really important and it's become a, it's become a really big part of, you know, it's becoming much more popular today. Like there's a big resurgence in shamanism that's happening Uh, right now because people are looking for ways to heal by being in touch with their spiritual selves. And so that's a big part. And the practice of shamanism, the main tool we call journeying, and there are three components to that. And this exists in every culture that has shamanism and everybody that practices shamanism are doing, they might do it slightly differently, but there are three basic components, component number one is that we use altered states of consciousness. And some people, when they think of shamanism, they might think of people taking um, peyote or, you know, something like that. I do not. I do not use, you know, I do not use psychedelics in my shamanic work. Um, You know, there are different ways of doing that. So we use altered states of consciousness. We access these sort of non-ordinary states of reality. We're able to travel in sort of parallel worlds and then we interact with spiritual beings. We have spiritual allies that we work with. You know, a lot of people have heard the term spirit animal or totem animal. And we, you know, in shamanism, we have what we call power animals that we work with. And we have other helping spirits that we work with. And we, be, we become, you know, when you practice shamanism, it's your job to become what's called the hollow bone, which is to step out of the way and be a clear channel for spirit to work with people. And, and that is the main, that's the main practice. Um, there's a lot to it, uh, but that's, you know, simplified. That's, that's the, that's the main practice of shamanism.
0: Wow. So did you generally have a lot of psychic abilities? Did you come into the world as a medium? And it looks to me that you could also astral project as well.
1: Yeah. So shamanic journeying is very close to astral projection, I think we all have gifts. I think we all have psychic gifts. I don't think I recognize them. I had a lot of, I've had a lot of what some people might consider paranormal experiences during my life. And as a boy, I did find myself spontaneously doing astral projection, not on purpose, like uh, happened sort of accidentally after something traumatic or uh, during sleep or that sort of thing. So I, you know, I never really considered myself, a, you know, like a gifted medium or a psychic or anything like that. But as I have worked in shamanism and and, you know, when I work with clients and things that I do, you know, information comes that I wouldn't have access to any other way. And I don't like to say that that's coming from me i always say that's coming from my helping spirits spirits always delivering that information to me so it is sort of a media mystic practice in that way that i'm working with spirits to get that information
0: and when you work with all of these different spirits what are your certain what are the certain power animals that you generally work with and when it comes to shamanism i'm assuming that there are certain specialists that maybe use certain spirits more so than you would, and you may use certain spirits more than they would, and so forth.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things about shamanism is everybody is different. Everybody's right. working with a different menagerie of spirits. And there yeah, there absolutely are people who are specialists in certain things. I, you know, one of my specialties, uh, I have a couple of specialties, but one of them is that I do a practice called soul retrieval and I work with a helping spirit and it happens to be a power animal that I work with for soul retrieval. And that spirit is the spirit of a buffalo for for me, but, you know, other shamanic practitioners who do uh, soul retrieval would, be working with different helping spirits. So there are definitely people who have specialties. I know people who are, do a lot of work with animals, for example. I, I don't. I love animals. I love all animals, but it's not a particular talent I have. So I know shamanic practitioners who are animal whispers. I know shamanic practitioners who combine their knowledge of, say, astrology with shamanic practice, and that's not a that's not a skill that I have. Um, I know people who work with weather, um, do weather shamanism, and people who do a lot of work, um, uh, a lot of practitioners now, because of the ecological state we find the world in, are doing work healing the earth. And it, it, it's work that I have done, but it's not I, – I don't do it as much as other uh, practitioners. So I do a tremendous amount of healing work with clients. I do a lot of soul retrieval, which is a, a treatment for trauma. It's a traumatic treatment for trauma. And, um, you know, one of my specialties is dream work. And I never thought I would enjoy dream work until I started doing it. And it's... It, turns out to be something I'm good at and something that happens to be very popular with the people that I that I do it for. So it's it's something that I it's sort of a slot that I slid into in my practice.
0: That's quite interesting. So can you get more into your specialty in particular? So you work with the Buffalo and you do dream work. So can you kind of get into that a bit more?
1: Sure. Um, the thing that I work with the thing with my, you know, my buffalo power animal that I work with is called soul retrieval. And that's a practice that exists in all shamanic cultures, um, still is done today in a lot of uh, culture cultures that are shamanic, has been done as far back as we can possibly tell. And it's a treatment for trauma, basically. And w- the idea is what happens when we go through a trauma, when we go through something that is shocking or frightful, that causes us to be afraid that either we might die or whatever we're facing might be worse than death, part of us splits off to safety. It's almost like this, you know, we leave a bit of ourselves behind. And that part can get lost. And that's called soul loss. And it's like a part of us that is frozen in time at that age is separated. And when that happens, people... Get what we now diagnose as PTSD, which um, you know the you know one of the biggest indicators for that or the biggest symptoms is uh, dissociation. So people dissociate a lot, or um, they have depression. It can cause lots of health issues, that sort of thing. Interestingly, modern psychology is starting to recognize this fractioning of the self as a major symptom of trauma. And so this is something that shamans have known for thousands and thousands of years and have treated through soul retrieval. Um, and it aligns really well. And I love, I'm scientifically minded. I, you know, I have I have a master's degree in, in information security. So I've studied computer science and all kinds of Uh, math and all of these things. So I love science. So I really love when the spiritual work that I do aligns with the work that's being done with modern um, therapeutic techniques and Western medicine and all of those things. I don't, I don't eschew any of that. I think they can work really, really well together. And I have clients who are doctors and therapists and I've studied with doctors and therapists. And um, so I really think there can be a coming together of these things to, help people, to help treat the whole person. And when, when I work, I'm treating the spiritual side of disease or um, illness or that sort of thing where, you know, they might be working at the level of the body or the level of the mind. But as people, we are we have a body, we have a mind, and we, ha- and we are a spirit. And so when we treat all of those, um, it, creates, it creates a really fantastic result and really great outcomes for, for people.
0: And when you have these, how do you actually combine shamanism with information systems? That sounds very fascinating. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: yeah, a, yeah, it's a it's a weird so thing, right? So, it's, uh, IT is very, very left brained brain. Shamanism is very right brain. <laughs> and you know, I'm sort of I don't know. It it just it's something that has come naturally to me, being scientifically minded. That. Uh, my exploration, my, the, the, you know, where, where it comes in for me is I've done so much research. I continue to do research into shamanism from a historical anthropological perspective. I'm constantly researching and talking to people from different cultures who are working with shamanism and trying to pull together, you know, and a a lot of computer science is about sort of pattern recognition. What's going on here? Like what, um, you know, when I, When I talk about this from a shamanic perspective um, and a psychiatrist talks about this from a medical perspective, what are the patterns there? Where does that overlap? How can I help people better by, by understanding both sides of that? How can I understand people who are experiencing certain um, medical conditions, what's going on for them spiritually, and how can I support their healing by healing the spiritual aspect of that? And so being relatively scientifically minded, um, you know, I'll do do a ton of research about trauma and what, what's the current thinking about trauma, or, you know, if I'm working with somebody who has a particular physical condition or is using certain types of medications, Um, you know, I can't advise people as a physician, but having an understanding of how that affects them helps me work with that client better. Um, And, and, you know, when, when things work out really well, I can work in conjunction with their, you know, other healthcare
0: professionals. So I kind of understand that. So shamanism and information is intertwined because your view on information systems allows you to research and get into shamanism in a more technical way which then helps you in your regular shaman life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there is also this whole idea of the way that we're connect the way that we're connected together very much is like the way the internet is connected together, right? So the internet is, you know, we might think of this mysterious magical thing if you don't understand the technology behind it. But it's basically All of the computer, you know, or all or most of the computers in the world are connected to each other over this giant web and can, you know, can talk to each other more or less. And that's a really good model of how things work on a spiritual level as well. And we can think of individuals as sort of representations of nodes in the Internet network, right, where we can tap into uh, we can tap into healing. We can tap into uh, spiritual connection with other people. The nice part about that for me is when I realized, gosh, I'm surrounded by spirit all the time. I'm never alone. I'm never alone because I'm always surrounded by spirit. I'm always connected by spirit. And I know that, you know, during the pandemic, people feeling isolated was a real problem. You know, it was a real psychological issue for a lot of people. And I get it. And I have been able to do well and carry through and continue my practice. Um, And, you know, and work with people, I work with people remotely quite a bit. I work with people over the world, which is fantastic. I love doing that. And, you know, i don't ever feel isolated i don't ever feel you know even when you know i was on lockdown and i had to stay in my house for for weeks on end uh, i never feel isolated and, it, and it's nice because we're all connect we're all connected to spirit and it does parallel really nicely how how the internet works and how information technology works
0: that's that, that is very interesting and when we get more into these power animals so I thought these animals would only be there during the ritual or ceremony, and you'd call them in. But it seems like they are always around you once you have a certain level of expertise.
1: Yeah, and they're not in it, It's not just expertise that ha, you know makes them be around. So we do ceremonies to help connect people with their power animal, and people can build these relationships with them even if they're not practicing shamanism. So. Power Animal Retrieval is a ceremony that I do for quite a few people. I've done that for uh, women who are pregnant and their babies to help the process of birth. Sometimes we do it when people are in the process of dying, to help the process of dying, to help people be more comfortable and less afraid when they're dying. And that's an important piece of work that we do as well. And really that's a big part of my message to the world is that you are connected and you're not alone and you're just as special as anybody. And it doesn't matter if I practice Shamanism, you are just as connected to spirit as I am.
0: Let me do all of this. What do you think clients desire from you the most? What type of result do you think a lot of clients are looking from you?
1: very often, Uh, clients come to me and they report symptoms that are along the lines of, I just don't feel myself, or I just don't feel, I feel like something's missing or that something has been left behind, or um, I feel a lack of connection or some sense of loss. There's usually a sense of loss. You know, I had, I remember a client I had uh, during the time I was seeing clients in person and it was a young man and he came to me and he said, I just feel dead inside. And first of all, that made me really sad, like to think of just like no emotion whatsoever, just being completely disconnected from that aspect of themselves. And so people are really looking for a sense of wholeness and a sense of standing in their own power And power is a big word that we use a lot in in shamanism. We talk about power animals and power, and this isn't power in the sense of power over people or power, you know, um, you know, misuse of power or anything like that. This is a sense of, I am, you know, I am this sovereign individual with integrated body, mind, and spirit, and I can... Do anything that I want to do, and put my put my mind towards, and I can accomplish anything. And you know, really, what trauma can do when I work with people with trauma, or you know, some other things, is it really makes people feel sort of split, like they have split attention, or they dissociate, or they just don't feel that um, strength or energy. And a lot of people come to me who are in helping fields, so I work with. I have a lot of clients who are therapists, who are other shamanic practitioners, who may be physicians or, you know, um, work with, uh, you know, I have somebody I work with regularly who works with um, adults with um, mental disabilities. Lots of people are in this helping industry, helping industries, and they, they feel sort of like a lot gets taken away and not really put back. And so I really try to help people feel that oneness feel centered and grounded and whole and complete and connected to spirit. And that, and that, that really is what a lot of people are looking for.
0: How does one become centered and grounded and whole of spirit?
1: Yeah, it's different for everyone, depending upon what's going on with them. Um, And some people, it is a matter of doing fill retrieval and helping them heal those parts that might have been wounded uh, when they were young sometimes in childhood it's sometimes a matter of helping people tap into the divinity that is at the core of their being and realizing that we are all co-creating the universe you know whether you believe in God or the universe or multiple gods or the Holy Spirit or, Holy Spirit or whatever it is you are co-creating your everything. Everything that exists that you experience, you are a co-creator, and helping people connect with that, and helping them feel whole, and helping them feel that they have power over their lives, that really that really does help people live fuller, happier lives.
0: And when you, in your years of being a shaman, what were your main, uh, what were some of your journeys like?
1: You know, there, there have been so many. And like I said, I, I started out working on myself and I went through years and years of training. You know, I have a main teacher that I have worked with for many years and some other teachers that I've, that I've studied with along the way as well. So there have been lots and lots of journeys. And one of the most important pieces that I have ever done for myself, the self-healing work, is we call it shadow work. And my teacher has a way of, has a method of working with what's called the shadow, which is the term that the the psychoanalyst Jung used to describe these disowned parts of ourselves, which are parts that we all have that we've repressed because we feel ashamed of them or society says these are bad, you know, and they aren't necessarily, sometimes people look at the shadow as like, oh, I have these like, angry impulses, or, you know, if I let these up and I recognize them, I'm going to become a serial killer or something like that. And quite the opposite is true. When people repress stuff, that's when the problems happen. And so, you know, we journey to meet these parts of ourselves that we have repressed, that we have exiled for maybe many, many years, maybe our entire lifetime. And when that happens, these parts become allies, they become a strength rather than a weakness, rather than something that pulls us down or that surfaces in unexpected ways. So, for example, some people have anger control issues. It's not been an issue of mine, but some people have anger control issues because they've repressed this part of themselves, and they don't know when this is going to pop up and rear its head. And so by making these parts of us that have been exiled conscious and working with them and feeding them and saying, what do you need? What are you looking for? What's your intention? We actually personify them when we work in journey. So I see them and I sit down. It's a part of myself, but I sit down across from it in journey and have a conversation. And it transforms. You know, It might be something that is, you know, look like a creature that's ugly or something when I look at it because that's how I've looked at this part of myself my whole life. But then it transforms in the conversation, in the healing work. And I treat that part of myself like I treat a client. And it is a very powerful journey. And it's work that I return to uh, very frequently because you're never done your own self-work. Anybody, any spiritual leader who uh, claims they're done with their own self-work, I would be a little cautious around. Um, You know, I don't care if they are an enlightened master or what have you, uh, but if people think they are done, usually there's something they're not. They're not done with it. They're either not aware of or they're really strongly repressing. So it's really about surfacing this stuff, healing it, working with it, and then it becomes a really powerful ally with us. So sometimes people have this you know, this repressed anger that pops up as anger control issues. And when you sit down and you really analyze and talk to and enter into a relationship with this part, it might be about protecting boundaries or it might be about physical protection. You know, when somebody was young and wasn't able to physically protect themselves and we push that part down and it pops up in unexpected ways. So when you bring it up, you know, having healthy boundaries is good for us as adults. And working with those parts, we can be healed. And I have—I've recon- you know—I've recognized a tremendous amount of healing myself working working through this shadow process. Um, and this is something that's common. Different forms of spirituality have different terminology for this. We use shadow work because it's a modern psychoanalytical viewpoint that has sort of borne out a lot of. A lot of modern day therapies, even, um, you know, there's these uh, system of therapy called um, internal family systems that a lot of therapists practice these days. Very similar to this type of work where we're dealing with these parts of our personality as, uh, you know, as parts that all have good intentions, but sometimes they act up.
0: And are these things in shadow work very similar to something like a shadow being? Are these actual entities
1: um, I don't think of them that way, although they do. They, we can personify them. So, in psychoanalytic terms, these are, would be considered subpersonalities, or these like little personalities that are within ourselves. They're not separate from us, and I think it is probably not a great way to to view them as separate than ourselves. Because really, what you want to do is integrate them. You want to realize that these are. A parts of ourselves. And so when you hear somebody talking about, you know, somebody gets angry or something and, or upset and they apologize and said, I really wasn't myself. That's exactly what they were talking about. They shifted into this non dominant personality because something triggered that shadow beings. When we're talking about sort of paranormal experience, that's something different. Those are usually spiritual entities that are not parts of what we would consider ourselves. And um, those are not subpersonalities in that way. Um, although they certainly can behave like that. They certainly can behave um, very mysteriously um, when we're not aware of them, when we're not aware of the fact that certain things trigger us in ways that we act in ways that we normally wouldn't, that we wouldn't normally would have control over.
0: And what were some of your most interesting stories when it came to your astral travels and working with people?
1: Yeah, I can. I mean, uh, I, I have a lot every like I think every time every time I journey and everybody I work with is incredibly interesting, but I can share I can share a couple of really interesting ones. And, Go for it. and And as I said, I don't consider myself particularly psychic or mediumistic or anything like that. So when I get information that clearly is not something I can experience with my senses, like sometimes it shocks me, it always shocks my clients. Um, but it's confirmation that information is coming from spirit. And so I had a client one time in, um, Sweden, she's living in Sweden and, um, she was looking for work and also looking for a new place to live. And, um, I have never been to Sweden and I have never been to the town she was living in or the city it was the city of Malmo. And, um, so I journeyed for her and I saw the city layout. And I actually drew a map of the city and I drew where city hall was in relationship to the river and there were cobblestone streets and there was a fountain here and there's a modern building here. And I actually could draw a map and say, this building in this direction, you're going to have an interview there and you're going to find some work. And she did, she wound up finding work there. And then when I, then when I, um, journey to find out about her living situation. She had an apartment and it was, I think it was infested with mice and mold and stuff. And she couldn't live there anymore for health reasons. It's like, I need a new place to live. And I don't know what I'm looking for, where I'm going to go. And I journeyed and I said, I don't know if this means anything, but I see a red farmhouse. And she said, well, that doesn't mean anything because I live in the city. There aren't any, there aren't any farmhouses here. I said, okay, well, you know, I don't know. I, when I see something in journey, I just relate it. You know, I just unfiltered, I say, this is what I see. I don't know. And about three months later, she sent me an email with a picture attached to it. And in that picture was a red farmhouse. And she said, this is the view out my window. I moved out to the country and I'm facing a red farmhouse out the window. And it was exactly what I had seen. So this is one particular client where stuff was coming in that was spot on. I don't always know how to interpret it or if it's how, in what way it's going to connect or be meaningful for somebody. And I had a, I had a client very recently and I was journeying for her and I said, I don't know if this is a power animal or what's going on, but I keep seeing this small black and white cat and it looks like it's sitting next to you. And I don't know what's, you know, I don't know what's going on with this. And she's like, Oh my gosh, I just got a small black and white cat and it's outside the room, and it's trying to get into the room. And I said, well, the cat wants to be next to you, so let it into the room. Like, I don't care if the cat's sitting next to you while I'm working with you. Um, let the cat in. The cat wants to sit next to you. So she let the cat in, and it came in, and it sat down next to her. So when I when I have these experiences that are uh, – you know, what some people might call psychic experiences or remote viewing is another term, or sort of projecting, and I and I see stuff and it and it can be confirmed, like and it's information that I have no way of getting from any other source. And it turns out to be extremely accurate that it still surprises me to this day. A lot of information I get is metaphoric. It is always meaningful in some way to the clients. You know, I saw you know, the other day I had a client and I, I saw a turtle and, and I'm like, I don't know if you have a turtle power animal or whatever. And this was a client in Scandinavia. And she's like, my grandmother who passed a few years ago actually had turtles, which is a weird thing to own in Scandinavia. And she was had turtles over house and she was, you know, surrounded by turtles. And so I think this was a message from my grandmother, which, which turned out to make, make a lot of sense in the context of everything. So when I journey and like this information comes through for me, um, it's not coming from me because I'm, you know, if I were psychic, I would get this information all the time, but, um, the spirits I work with show me stuff. And, uh, very frequently it turns out to be surprisingly accurate. And that is, um, it's Cool. It's confirming the work that I do for me um, and gives me greater and greater faith in the work that I do. And um, it also helps the clients accept the the work that I'm doing as, you know, I mean, if they're coming to me, I think they they believe that the work I'm doing is legitimate, but it helps solidify that work. Okay, this guy has seen this part of my life that I didn't even tell him about. And, um, you know, so this is clearly he's tapped into what's going on for me.
0: So you could see into the future, but you're not a psychic. You
1: know, <laughs> um, like, yeah, I mean it's 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 a weird th- like like that's a weird thing. I don't I don't like to say I can see into the future, but I have had like you know I have seen information that has come true in the future, and I think my view of the future is that it's not set in stone. Like I, I do believe we have free will; that nothing is absolutely set in stone, but there are. There are probabilities, right? There are these things like these probable paths that can happen. And the spirits can – the spirits are sort of outside time and space because, you know, if you know anything about physics, time and space is really connected to matter, right? Really connected to, you know, even like the satellites in space are – they're, if you have a, a, a clock on Earth and a clock on a satellite, when you launch into space, they get out of sync really fast because gra- the gravity of the mass of the Earth affects time itself. Um, and this is true. Like matter affects time and space. And because spirits are, don't have any matter, they're not as affected by time and space as we are. But I don't believe in predetermination, and I don't think that – I I fully believe in free will and that we can choose our own path. And if I had seen a red farmhouse for this person and they were like, well, you know what? I'm going to climb – I'm going to choose today to climb on a plane and fly to New York and live there, that would have happened, and she would never have encountered the red farmhouse. But because she went on the path that she was already on and looked in the ways that we talked about in the session – um, what happened was she encountered this, this red farmhouse. So, um, yeah, the future's if iffy and no, I cannot get lottery numbers. And if I could, I would have won the lottery by now, many times over. Um, <laughs> my helping spirits are not going to do that for me. Unfortunately, I have asked like, listen, if you can see this farmhouse, um, but it's it's all about probabilities, and you know the lottery you're you're more likely to get hit by lightning three times than when you know win powerball, for example, so um, there's a lot of probabilistic stuff happening there that's really um, really tough to predict, but stuff like I'm going down this path and they can sort of see where that path is most likely to wind up that's the best way I can describe that.
0: Hmm. When working with these spirits, though, what types of uh, – when you became a shaman, do you think it was more of a spiritual calling? Or were you just more um, – were you more into the IT and then gradually you just moved more into shamanism later on in your
1: life? Um, yeah, and I, I never fully I'm, – I'm still always going to be a nerd, and I will always love technology and always sort of be oh. there. Um, but I've always been a meditator. I've meditated my entire life since I was a child, and I was going through um, a crisis in my life—a health crisis—and lots of things were happening. And in the realm of shamanism, we say we, we refer to that as a shamanic crisis. It's actually common, and I didn't know this at the time. It's, I knew nothing about shamanism at all. Um, in in many shamanic cultures, to train in shamanism. You have to have gone through a crisis. You have to have been hit by lightning or have a disease or you have to be born with certain birth defects or all kinds of things. And this is called the shamanic crisis. And what happens when you go through this crisis frequently is it shakes up your spiritual makeup. It's like being inside a snow globe and somebody's shaking it like crazy. And that was going on with my life and I had no idea what was happening, but I'd always meditated and I was trying to use meditation to cope with um, what was going on in my life. Um, And it's a practice I highly recommend. Everybody should meditate in some way, um, whatever way works for you. And this never happened to me before ever in, even in meditation, but I got a very clear male voice loud as heck. It sounded like it was inside my head that said, you need to go learn shamanism. And it, it set me aback, but it was very forceful. It was, you know, this is something you need to do. And I said, how's that going to happen? I don't live in Peru. I can't go to Siberia. You know, I live in the state of Maine. <laughs> and as it turns out, there's a huge shamanic community in the state of Maine, of all places. And some of the best teachers on the planet are here. Um, And my teacher, who I studied with for years and years, uh, happened to live here. And she let me apprentice with her, even though I had no background in shamanism or anything. So I do feel it was a calling. And it was very literally a calling. Like, it was very literally a voice that said, you need to do this. Um, I don't know whose voice it was. I will say that I think it came from maybe my higher self or some spirit that knew way more than I did. <laughs> so,
0: And when you did all of this, what do you think about the shaman community as a whole? How do you guys operate? What is the, the hierarchical structure in a sense?
1: Yeah, so, um, you know, when you think about traditional spiritual um, hierarchy, it's very what we call patriarchal, Right, and that there's usually like a pyramid. Like if you think about Catholicism, right? There's there's the Pope on top, and then there's the College of Bishops, and then you know there's you know there's the priests, and there's the nuns, and then there's the lay people, and so there's just like this pyramid going up to like one guy at the top. Um, There is no hierarchy in shamanism. Everybody is on their own. Um, Communities do gather. It is more of a if there is a structure to it. It's more matriarchal, and there are institutions, there are societies that have formed around studying shamanism. So there's the Society for um, Shamanic Practice, and there's a couple of others, and those are more um, academic and training organizations that do a lot of academic research on shamanism. Um, but there isn't a there isn't a structure around it. There are teachers that are recognized kind of by the community or by other teachers who are respected in the community. Um, but there isn't, there isn't a leadership. And to me, that is sort of a nice thing. Um, because shamanism is about direct revelation, meaning like there's nobody standing between me and my helping spirits. There's no individual standing between me and working with spirit directly. And even when I act as an intermediary, as you know, when I work with clients, um, Really, I'm about empowering them to be in connection to spirit on their own. Um, It's not about at all creating a dependent relationship of any sort. Um, You know, sometimes I'm called upon to do ceremony on behalf of people. So somebody reached out to me very recently to perform a wedding, which is something I can do, or some other types of ceremonies as kind of an officiant. Um, But there isn't a – there's no recognized body that – you congratulations you are qualified to practice shamanism. The drawback to that is anybody can any really anybody can hang a shingle um, and that is not not necessarily a great great thing. there are people out there who are doing stuff they may not be qualified to do. <laughs> Um, My teachers would uh, very, very strong sense of ethics. And um, if they found out you were practicing something you hadn't been trained in or qualified for, would pull the right out from underneath you very quickly um, and very careful about guarding that because, you know, we don't want people out there to be uh, going to unqualified people. And if people come to me for work that I – and that I don't do or that I haven't had training in or I'm unqualified in doing, I always, always refer them, always refer them out to another practitioner. So I spoke before that I don't really work with animals. Um, if somebody came to me and said, I have a horse that needs healing or uh, my dog is, you know, my dog has been diagnosed with cancer and, you know, I need to help him through this transition or something, I would refer that person to somebody else because I am not the most qualified person to do, to do that work. Um, but it really is more of a, it's very more matriarchal and we do, you know, sometimes groups will gather, we'll do, you know, we'll do drumming and journey circles or whatever, but it's very informal. There aren't formal services of any kind in in that way. Um, you know, we tend to, do work around seasons. So we might celebrate the equinoxes or, um, you know, that, that sort of thing. The, the, um, the autumnal equinox is coming up in just a couple few days and lots of practitioners will be, uh, doing some sort of celebration around that, but it'll be different. Everybody's, everybody will be absolutely different. So one of the nice things for me about shamanism is that, It recognizes the individual, like we're all, we are all connected and underneath we are all have that same divine spark, but we're also all unique and we're also all individuals. And we also work, we all work in spirit in different ways and we all have different helping spirits and we recognize that. And and I love that. It's one of the things I really love and embrace about the practice of shamanism.
0: And how does one know to go to you versus somebody that's a fake shock?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's that can be a little bit... I don't like to use the word fake. I'll just say unqualified and maybe unqualified, right? I think there are people out there who have good intentions but might be doing work that they're not specifically trained to do, right? And so you really want to find somebody who has very specific training. So other thing is um, you want to... You can look for what I call hubris. There's a hubris meter, right? I never actually refer to myself as a shaman. I never use that title when referring to myself. Other people can, and that's fine. But I always say I'm a shamanic practitioner. And that's part of my tradition. Um, My tradition is you are not allowed to give yourself that title, you might perform that function and other people might call you a shaman. But I, I always say that I'm a shamanic practitioner or shamanic teacher or healer because we and part of that is this training to remain humble. So if you find people making really grand claims about things or saying they can do everything under the sun, um, that's probably to be avoided. Um, you can also frequently find, um, you know, people's qualifications you might have to do a little digging who have they trained with and what training have they done? Um, And you can trace that back. You can trace people's lineages back a little bit. Um, People are welcome to uh, you know, I'm not saying that people have to contact me for uh, to to come on as a client, but if people are looking for a specific practitioner um, I would always welcome that. Like, you know, uh, who do you know, who does this kind of work? And if you have somebody that is trusted or somebody that has seen a shaman or shamanic healer and has had you know a great result from that and praise for that person, you should go that way. Um, but it, yeah, if people contact me and say, I'm looking for somebody, and I refer people all the time, and I only refer people to people I trust, um, people I know who have had the training and are qualified to do the work that they're asking for. Um, and if I see people who are offering work that they're not really qualified to do, I would hesitate to refer, refer that out. So it can be challenging because anybody, again, there's no governing body. Anybody can hang a shingle out and say, um, you know, I'm a shamanic healer. Um, but you can look, you can look at their training. How many years of training have they had? Um, I think I had, um, at at least five years of solid training under my belt before I ever, Claimed before I ever worked with another person in a professional setting. Um, and continually train even after that. Like, even uh, I will continue to do trainings for the rest of my life, uh, sort of like continued education credits, I guess. Um, uh, so, look for training, look for if somebody's making very grand claims. Um, if somebody is charging too little or too much, those can be warning signs as well. Um, you know, shamanic practitioners, we can't, unfortunately in this modern age, we can't do the work for free. Um, because I've got to pay my, you know, I've got to pay for my house and my kids, my kids need school clothes and and that sort of thing. Um, but I don't overcharge clients either for, for my time. Um, and that that's really important. Um, and also like, a practitioner shouldn't be creating a dependent relationship where you're uh, going to them every week for years on end. You know, you might go to a practitioner multiple times or every other month for a period of a few years or something. Um, or sometimes people go once. But if people are t- really trying to get you to come as much as possible or that sort of thing, that's, that's worrisome as well.
0: Hmm. Hmm. And when it comes to your business now? How did you grow your business as a shaman now? Because after you got the skills, you now need additional skills now to then run a business because I bet there are plenty of qualified shamans just like yourself, but they don't have the same skill set you do at running a business and juggling this and creating this network here and so forth.
1: Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, there are people who are shamanic practitioners that are skilled in running a business and may have had that from a previous life, or they may have to find the skills to run a, to run a business. Um, I have run a number of businesses in my life. I've worked as a consultant. Um, So I know promotion. Um, I, you know, I, I built web applications for a living for a really long time. So I built a pretty good website, for example, and I know how, uh, Facebook promotions work, and all of that sort of stuff. And so, uh, those aspects of business, um, I'm pretty good at. And some people struggle with. But I also I do help other practitioners from time to time. Uh, I've, you know, helped people put their put their stuff together or find scheduling systems. Or, um, but yeah, I mean, working in the in the modern world, um, you know, you do have to you do have to, you do have to be able to run a business and people I know are really good at it ten at the business aspect tend to have come from a business background. And that's not to say that you can't learn because I know other practitioners who have had to learn along the way um, and they can learn from uh, people like myself. I'm always happy to, if somebody reaches out to, to say, you know, with a question say, you know, I've got, you know, I'm working as a practitioner and I can't get X, Y, or Z to work, or, um, you know, I can't get clients to show up or, you know, whatever, whatever the business problem is, I'm happy to help people troubleshoot. Cause the, you know, really I'm about everybody's success and building the shamanic community and bringing shamanism to a much wider group of people. And I wish I could serve the entire planet. Um, but it would take more, it takes more than me. And so I, I'm, you know, I I don't see myself in competition with anybody. Um, You know, it's like a rising tide lifts all boats. Right. And so I want to, I want to lift other practitioners up and I want more people to find shamanism as a healing path or as a spiritual path. Um, And so I'm really, really happy to help people out, but there are resources out there. Um, It can be a bit of a struggle, In any spiritual business, you know, if somebody opens up a yoga studio, for example, or somebody starts teaching meditation, the business aspect can be a struggle if you don't have some sort of background in business. But um, those things are – it's no different than running any other kind of service business in that the same – concerns will be there the same concerns for promotion and um banking and tax issues and if you start to bring on assistance or people to do scheduling for you managing employees um doing you know doing projections writing a business plan all of those things are the same um so there are resources to, to learn those things out there but um I I was fortunate in that I came from a background uh, in running businesses in my past. Hmm.
0: And when you did all this, how do you go about teaching other shamans? Because you're also a shaman teacher as well. How does that system work for you? What is your teaching philosophy?
1: Yeah. So in, in, in shamanism, there are, um, you know, we, it's not, incredibly regimented the way that we train, there are some things that people have to learn. So they have people have, if they want to practice shamanism, you have to learn the basic practice of journeying. Um, And I have worked with other teachers for a very long time about how to um, best teach that. And what I have found, um, and this is where my teaching philosophy comes in is that if I have a classroom full of people or if I'm teaching online or even if I'm teaching one-to-one, I I do mentor people one-on-one as well. um, Everybody has a different learning style. And so it really helps to present information in different ways. And so I will present facts. I will present exercises And I will present, and I will teach in metaphors as well. So I can, so it's really about teaching at multiple levels. Metaphors go really, really deep into the unconscious mind. Um, when I talk about, when I, when I talk in metaphors, when I describe things that way, but it doesn't help people actually sit down and do the practice. And so I actually have to help people step by step. Um, and I have tuned my way of teaching shamanic journeying to, um, you know, to a level where I have found the most success with students after teaching for, for a number of years. Um, I found a way it, it, it's not a different way of journeying, but a different way of teaching it that has maximized my success with students. Like the, the most number of students get it on the first try. Some people need a little extra help or a little extra time or a little extra practice. And that's fine as well. Not everybody gets it um, the first time. Uh, but it's, you know, it's really about bringing people along and teaching them in a style that speaks to them the most, but also teaching from different angles. So if you have information or skills presented to you, uh, in multiple different ways, different parts of that are going to, uh, sink into your self, Different parts of your brain, different parts of your spirit, different parts of your consciousness, and even build into your body um, the the ways that were the ways that were working. And so, I do try to do this multi level teaching when I teach and present things multiple levels. And I'm very very conscious about that.
0: That's very good. And what are some final kind of things that you would say to yourself now? So let's say. We're looking at you now. What were some things? What's some advice you would give to yourself in the past to bring yourself to where you are right now, the man I'm speaking to?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Um so I would say the, the, the one phrase if I could go back uh you know ten years or however long, I would say embrace surrender, right? Embrace surrender. Because so often in the beginning of a new path we fight it, right? We fight it. This is new. This is different. I'm scared. I don't know what to do here. And, you know, Jung, you know, the psychoanalyst Jung also said what we resist persists. So fighting, you know, fighting the path and pushing things off and fighting things away, really that's going to lock you in a place and make your going much harder. So whatever you do, whether it's business or studying shamanism or, Playing baseball or basketball or um taking up oil painting, dive in and go with it. Drop the self-criticism and just go with it. Surrender to the flow, surrender to what's going on, and do whatever you do for the experience of it. And the experience is really, even if you fail, you know, by outside standards, you fail at whatever it is. you're doing there is no failure there's only learning there's only lessons there's only going down the path but really step into the flow and you're going to find just these wonderful rich beautiful experiences are waiting for you
0: very good and are there any final words you would like to say to the audience kind of to end this off this was a very good interview
1: but my last message is that no matter what your path, no matter what your belief system, no matter what, um, I really want you to find love for yourself. Really love yourself at a deep level. Not how you talk to yourself. Um, frequently, so frequently we talk to ourselves that we would amazed that we would never accept that from another person. Or that we would never, I, I talk to myself and we would never talk to children. Uh, and really, really, really hold them a full life find self-love uh, wherever you can whatever your path is and that that's really where I want to I would love to leave things with people
0: all right find self-love that was kind of the main thing right there I am Jimbo Paris Absolutely. and this is the Jimbo Paris show thank you again John all right
1: thank you very much appreciate it
0: thank you for listening to the Jimbo Paris show.